I grew up in a really dysfunctional family. My mom and dad adopted six cousins. The problem with that was that we already had three children in the home. My parents' marriage was extremely rocky, and my dad was an alcoholic. Right after I was born, about a year later, my mom and dad divorced. Older kids all moved out the house, and it was left to my dad, myself, and a couple of the stepbrothers. In every aspect, every way, it was just dysfunction. My dad obviously continued to drink. He did work. He made very little money. He met some basic needs, but not all. And so it was just a very, very difficult time. Uh, in our lives. I loved my dad uh, with all of my heart, but I hated his drinking. I hated who he was when he drank. I swore to myself I would never be like that. I could never do that if I had kids one day. I was in seventh grade. Um, nothing changed in my life. Everything was the same. I was still miserable, lonely. I started going to parties, started going out. I started drinking, and I started drinking more and more. I guess as an escape, God was never, ever spoken in my house all the way through junior high and high school. I don't think I ever stepped foot in a church. I didn't even have a basic knowledge or understanding of who God or Jesus was. I didn't know anything more than their names, really. I was lonely. I was angry. I was hurt. I was miserable. I would say by midway of my 10th grade year, I was an alcoholic. I was drinking every day. I brought alcohol to school every day. Everyone at school saw one thing. They saw this person who, you know, loved to party, loved to go out, was the life of the party. But on the inside, I was hurting. I was miserable. I hated who I was. Um, I despised myself for what I had become because it was everything that I hated in life. I was just empty. I was isolated. I wanted to kill myself, but um, I was too scared. The more that I went out, I just started doing really stupid things. I don't know what my friends thought at the time, but I just did really dumb things. And basically, I was trying to kill myself accidentally. I figured if it happened and I fell off of a bridge or it would be okay and I would end it and I, I wouldn't necessarily have done it to myself. There was no hope. I was completely hopeless, void of feeling, and I, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know where to go. I was stuck in the life that I was living. But God, God had a plan and a purpose for my life the whole time. And now that I know scripture, I think back to that scripture and that says, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Psalms 139, that he knit me together in my mother's womb long before I was born. Long before there was misery and he had a plan for me. And so as I was entering my 11th grade year, I met Miko and his mom and his sister, and they were completely different than anybody I'd ever met in my life. They introduced me to a life that I never knew existed. They loved each other and they provided for each other and they gave support to each other. And I fell in love with all of them, not just him. Not long after they introduced me to Christ and they led me to the Lord. 
and I started going to church with them. In those first years that I was saved, God did amazing things for me and through me. Um, in the very beginning, through prayer, He delivered me from alcoholism. He restored all of the misery and everything that I endured as a child. Now that I'm able to look back, I think His plan was so beautiful. It's just such a beautiful love story that you can be in such a place of misery and so lonely and so isolated and do terrible things to yourself and hate yourself so much. But because He has a plan and a purpose for you and for me, He brings us out of that into this place of just glorious redemption. It's His ways and it's His grace and His mercy in me that now I can be a faithful wife and I'm a dedicated mother to my children. All of the past, all of the terrible childhood that I lived has been redeemed. I just think that it was a difficult testimony and it was a rough testimony that I've lived and it's full of scars and it was once full of hurts, but now he has brought beauty to the ashes because now it's a beautiful testimony. Through all of this, um, my relationship with my father was restored and 10 years before he passed away, um, he was delivered from alcoholism. Later, I was able to lead him to Christ, and we had a beautiful relationship up until the day that he died. And so God wants to do all of those same things for each and every one of you. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that um, when we are found in Christ, we are made a new creation. All of the old is gone, and the new is here. Let the old pass away. Let those ashes be buried, and let God bring beauty into your life where something was once miserable. You know, I listened to Pat's testimony during the week, and I just sat there and wept because it reminded me again, God has a plan. God has a plan. And when I look out and I see each person in the congregation, I'm reminded God has a plan for your life. I don't care where you are today. God has a plan. You know, and it reminded me how small choices you make can have long-term effect in your life. And it reminded me of what happened in Vicky and my life uh, back in 1978. Um, we were living at uh, her daddy's farm up in Pomperville. We had moved from Texas to Mississippi. I wasn't really sure why. I felt the Spirit of the Lord told us to move. And we were uh, living there at the farm, helping out at a church up in Hattiesburg, but really had no real idea what God had in mind. And I got a phone call from a guy that I did not know. And he said, I'm so-and-so, I can't remember his name. He said, I am the director of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And we have a national conference coming up, and it's two days from now. And he said, we had one of our primary speakers, and they were, had three nationally known speakers. He said, we had one of them cancel out. And he said, would you be a fill-in for this speaker. You know, it really pumps your ego up to know 
that you're a last-minute desperation. <laughs> you know, you got two nationally known guys, and then there's this some kid from the farm up in Mississippi who he didn't know. He had never heard me, and and you know, somebody he knew obviously had heard me uh, somewhere. So it didn't take me long, though. I didn't have a huge busy schedule. Matter of fact, I had nothing going on. <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." Uh, and, and I went just a few days later, we spoke, um, and the other two national known speakers did great. And I just, I shared my heart, but then a small group of people from Homa, Louisiana, which I didn't even know what a Homa was, <laughs> came up to me afterwards and said, brother Renee, would you mind coming down to Homa and teaching a group of people? having a Bible study or a meeting. And I said, sure. Uh, and we did. We came and spoke at a full gospel businessman meeting. We taught some class or taught some uh, people. And in a, in a, I think we met over maybe at the sleek, old Sleeka building uh, a couple of times. And our life has never been the same. Just a little decision, a little choice. And I just want to say, God has an amazing plan for your life. And you never know, but when you say yes, that God has a bigger plan. A much bigger plan than what you see at the time. And I look back and I think what God has done. And in June, this is June, so we celebrate 38 years here. Um, I think it was June the 11th, which will be next Sunday, we actually began, formally began the church uh, in June of 1979. And one thing I have learned, and actually I'm changing my message from what originally I had intended, but the Spirit of the Lord just spoke to me this week, and, and I want to talk to you about praise. Last week I talked to you about how much your sin cost me the powerful impact of sin and how we need to get delivered from sin. But I thought if we're going to live resurrected lives, how important praise is in our life. You will never live a real, true, resurrected life until you begin to see the plan of God for praise and worship in your life. And so I want to talk to you about praise. I want to talk to you about the power of praise and worship. The place, what happens in praise and worship. It's not just something we do at the beginning of the service. It is a powerful impact in our life. And when we begin to see it the way God intended it, it helps us. It strengthens us because praise is the language of heaven. Praise is the language of God's heart. It is the fragrance of God that gives life purpose and hope and meaning. So I want us to get a hold of what the Word of God teaches us about praise. And there are some things I feel like the Spirit of the Lord would have us to hear. 
to get this right. Because not only sin has to be gone from our life, we talked about that last week, but praise has to be an instrumental part of our life if we're going to live resurrected lives. And that's what we're talking about. We want to live resurrected lives. We want to make a difference in this world. So, first thing I want us to look at, and that is praise opens the door to victory over the enemy. Praise opens the door to victory over the enemy. I want you to read this passage with me. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's a, a pretty familiar passage. Uh, but I want you to follow with me and look at what happens. It's the Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. This is Jehoshaphat, and he's surrounded by a huge army, a huge, a bunch of armies have gathered together, in fact. Different factions, different enemies have joined together, and they're going to they're destroy Jehoshaphat and Israel. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Verse 19. Then the Levites from the clan of Kohath and Korah stood out to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. The the prophets had already said the battle is the Lord's, it's not yours. After consulting with the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Don't you know that thrill, the worship team? Wasn't that exciting? Hey, worship team, we just want you to know... You're going to go ahead of the army and fight and, and, and face all these armies. Uh, and, and it's amazing. Singing to the Lord and praising Him in His holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Something like that. Anyway, at the very moment, you love that? At the very moment they began to sing, what happened? And give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Don't you love it? Now, when did the enemy start fighting one another? At the very moment they began to sing and worship God. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Now that's a victory. That's a victory. When did this happen? You you caught that. At the very moment when praise began to be lifted up and they began to sing and worship, lift up the God of heaven and earth, when they did that, 
God responded. The people of Israel did not fight. In fact, they didn't even get to see the fight. They're still trying to get to the lookout point. And while they're getting to that lookout point, enemies fighting with one another. The only people that had made it was the worship team. (laughs) And they're out there shaking like a leaf and singing at the top of their voice. I bet they were. I would have been. I've been singing for all I was worth. Hoping and praying that God was going to do something. And he did. But God had this to happen for a reason. God was saying something to the church over the thousands of years ahead. And that is, praise opens the door to victory over the enemy. A lot of people want victory over the enemy. But so many of those people are unwilling to open their mouth and sing praise. Folks... Deciding to praise God is a choice of your will. Singing is a choice of your will. Throughout scriptures, it says, I will sing to the Lord. Indicating choice of will. I made a choice of my will. I will sing to the Lord. Singing doesn't happen without a choice of your will. You have to do that. And I've learned this about singing, especially we open the service with singing. You know, it is so important if you will put this as a priority of your life. I'm I'm going to step on your toes just a minute, okay? Everybody got your steel-toed boots on? Be on time. Smile at me. Be on time. Be here early. And then, not just on time, but be here on time, preparing your hearts, getting ready for worship. You know, sometimes you can show up. And all you do before worship starts is you check your Facebook page. What? What preparation for worship? And or you're catching up, or you're texting, or you're 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 communicating, and maybe you're even having an argument with people. I just want to encourage you: plan to be on time and plan to worship God, giving Him honor. You know, I never bring my cell phone into the church. I never do. I never will. Back there in my office. If it rings, I don't want to know it. Somebody's got a text for me, I don't want to know it. Why? Because this time, I want to set us apart for the Lord. I want to say everything else is unimportant. There's nothing in my life that can't wait for an hour and a half. Putting aside, I know I'm stepping on your toes, but I might as well. You love me. Make a plan. Hey, if I, if I go on vacation or you go on vacation, what do you do? You make a plan. Why? Because it's important to you. Everything important to you, you plan. So I just want to encourage you.
plan on being here. And when that first chord hits and the worship begins to God, join in and say, I want to I be like that praise and worship team in Second Chronicles chapter 20, that when the praise began, the enemy was defeated. And many of us need the enemy defeated in our life. There are battles that we are fighting that we need to win. The enemy needs to be routed. And I encourage you, praise opens the door for victory over the enemy. Second thing, praise welcomes the presence of God. A couple of verses, Psalms 26 verse 8 says, I love your sanctuary. Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. The sanctuary is where they worship God. The temple, the worship, the place of worship. You know, it's interesting. In the synagogue, there were plenty of seats because that's where teaching went on. But in the temple, there were no seats, no chairs. Because the only thing that went on is worship. No one sat. Everything was about God. Everything was about worship. Everything was about Him. Another verse, Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Some of the translation talks about how they interpret this or they translate that He inhabits the praises of his people. He's enthroned. He's exalted on the praises of his people. And again, I think the idea is that it welcomes the very presence of God. When we begin to worship and praise God, it welcomes his presence in. And his presence, it cleanses us. It purifies our heart. It energizes us. It's amazing. You can come to church tired and worship God and leave energized. How does that happen? It's the presence of God. Cleanses and purifies. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 12. I love this. And the Levites, who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jethuan, And all their sons and brothers were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, lyres, and harp. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. That's quite a trumpet section. The trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good. Boy, he loves to do that. You notice how they love to do that. And his mercy endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. I love 14. Notice what happened. The priest could not continue their service because of the cloud. The cloud represented his presence. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. I don't know, I read that and I say, Lord, I hunger for that, even now. But what initiated his presence? What brought the cloud? It was his people worshiping God, 
singing and worshiping and praising God, putting everything second and exalting the name of the Lord. There is an amazing impact of praise and worship. It welcomes the presence of God. Here, it was actually demonstrated like a cloud. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. Not just in corporate worship, but in your private lives at home. You can enjoy worship. You can enjoy the presence of God. You know, the amazing thing is that you set the atmosphere in your home. And I just want to encourage you that if you will establish praise and worship in your home as an atmosphere, it will change your home. And so... Play music in your home. Play praise and worship music in your home. Your kids are always fighting and feuding. Play worship music in your home. Welcome the presence of God into your home. You have young children. Let your children get used to worshiping God at home. You see, if they'll learn to worship God at home, then they'll look forward to worshiping God at church. It's not something, it's just totally foreign to them. And then all of a sudden they come to church and all of a sudden now they're going to praise God. No, we should be worshiping God. Singing and worshiping. Playing praise music in your car. At your home. Allow the presence of God into your life through praise and worship. So important. One thing I've learned, you know, you, it, it's hard to worry and praise at the same time. You ever notice that? You, you have to make a choice. How many of you have ever worried? Okay, now we got some liars here. We got, we, you know, you know, it's a. You shouldn't be lying like that. How many people have ever worried? Oh, now here we and the truth comes. Truth of it is, we fall into that trap of worrying and anxiousness. But the Bible says, "Be anxious for nothing." But by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known in God. And then the peace of God fills your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So you make a decision. I'm not going to worry. Replace that worry with worship. Replace it with praise. And a lot of people say, well, I don't, you know, I don't sing very well. I can't sing loud. I can't sing at all. It doesn't matter. Just make noise. Make any kind of noise. God has this Holy Spirit filter that by the time it gets to heaven, it's beautiful. That's what I've decided. He just filters it out and it just, and, 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 and all the angels hear is just beautiful music. Why? Because God is not interested in the sound as much as He's interested in your heart, your willingness, because it's an act of surrender. 
third thing, praise welcomes the power of God. And I distinctly make a difference between the presence of God and the power of God. Because, folks, we need the power of God in our life. We need the power of God in our homes. Look, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. This is the story of Elisha. I want you to see this. Elisha replied, Surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now, Bring me somebody who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. You see, Elisha had tapped into something. He recognized that the praise of God welcomed the power of God. And he began to prophesy, began to declare the word of the Lord. But he he said... Give me, I need some worship. And they didn't, couldn't plug in a CD. Couldn't turn on his iPhone. Well, give me a harp. Give me somebody in here who plays the harp and begin to play praise and worship to God. And when they did, the power of God came upon him. Folks, that is a reality of our life. We need the power of God. Now, what is happening there? Because the power of God does not work well in doubt, fear, or confusion. You can see that when Jesus did a miracle. You might remember the miracle in Matthew chapter 9. In verse 23, he says this. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, they had told him the daughter was dead. He saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up. And the report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. What did he do? He got rid of all the doubt and the fear and the confusion and the weeping and the wailing and the funeral music. Everybody had all given up. A lot of times... You know, it's hard for God to work in that, that particular way. So he got rid of all that. And I just want you to understand, we need God working in our homes. We need God working in our church. We need the power of God. And I believe it is his heart, the Father's heart, that... His people, and this is why, you know, it's not just by chance. We begin the service with praise and worship and then pray for people right after the praise and worship. That's an intentional decision. Why? Because as we worship God, I believe it welcomes His presence and His power. And we want to pray for the power of God to hit and touch people's lives and change people so that the atmosphere is so that God can work. God's power can work. You know, when we come into the house of the Lord, I am believing God's power to be here. I believe that God's power works as the anointing is upon the Word of God that is preached. That's why I believe it is so important that we welcome His presence and that we have reverence to His presence. So I I encourage you, Put praise 
as a part of your life. And, and I guess you're seeing what I'm trying to say. This is more than 20 or 30 minutes at the beginning of the worship service. That's important. That's corporate worship. I love that. That's wonderful. But worship and praise has to be a greater part of your life than that 20 or 30 minutes. It needs to be a part of your life. Why? Because you see it as something that welcomes the presence of God. It welcomes the power of God. It causes the enemy to go. And I want you to see this. It's the fourth thing. Praise causes the enemy to flee. I love this passage in 1 Samuel 16. This is an interesting passage. I want to kind of talk about it a little bit because it brings up a lot of questions. 1 Samuel 16, 23 says this. Excuse me, 21 to 23. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much because David, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, that was David's daddy, asking, please let David remain in my service, for I'm very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Let me just talk about this tormenting spirit for a moment, because that probably brings up questions in your mind. To get the full context and understanding what God was saying, what is happening here, chapter 15 is a pivotal chapter, the chapter before in 1 Samuel. That's the chapter where King Saul rebelled against God, refused to kill King Agag. And when Samuel questioned him why he had not obeyed the Lord, Saul tried to defend himself and tried to say, I didn't do anything wrong. I obeyed God. And Samuel told him again. He said, you have not obeyed the word of the Lord. And he defended himself again and said, no, no, I, I did the right thing. My people, my men are the ones that did that. And then Samuel, the prophet of the day, said this. He said, Saul, God has decided to take your kingdom away. He's going to take the kingdom away from you. And I'm going to put another person in place who is a man after my own heart. Then, after he was told he was going to have the kingdom taken away, then all of a sudden, Saul got repentant. Oh, oh I did the wrong thing. I, I sinned. I, I confess. Interesting. He didn't really repent until he saw he was going to lose his kingdom. And Samuel says something powerful. You can see this in 1 Samuel 15, 23. He says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. God would rather have obedience than sacrifice. And I want you to understand something. The tormenting spirit, and there are different translations use different words here distressed spirit, some say demon spirits, whatever it was, it was the result of Saul's rebellion against God. And I want you to understand something. 
when you dig in your heels and rebel against the word of the Lord and you don't obey God, you need to understand the God who's been covering you and protecting you and blessing you, he steps back. And when God steps back, the enemy is going to come in and do what he always wants to do, and that is torment, hinder, harass, condemn. Some translation says this is a condemning spirit. And when it says God sent this, I believe the correct interpretation is simply that God allowed this to happen. But it happened because Saul had hardened his heart and refused to repent and now was walking in rebellion. It's a little interesting if you think about it. Samuel says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And where did Saul go later in his life? To witchcraft. He went to the witch at Endor. He was so desirous of the presence of God and a word from God, he was willing to go to a witch to try and get a word from the Lord. Samuel had no idea. Samuel was dead by that point. Samuel actually spoke a pretty prophetic word. And I want you to understand something. That if you harden your heart and rebellion to God, the God who loves you, cares for you, protects you, blesses you, He steps back. He doesn't step back because He hates you. He steps back so that you might turn and repent. Whenever God does that, He does it so that you might repent. You see the same principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That he said, put him out of the church so that Satan could get at him. So that he might turn and repent. You see, that's what happens. If you harden your heart against God. And you demand to have it your way. He'll let you have your way. But he wants you to know the full consequences of having your own way. And that is you lose the blessings of God and the enemy is going to come in like a flood. God wants his people to be filled with praise. He wants your life to be filled with praise. I want to encourage you this morning not to have praise as an incidental part of this service. I want to encourage you to welcome praise and worship as a vital, integral part of your life. If you will do that, you will live a resurrected life. It will help you. It's not a cure-all, believe me. I don't want to give you that impression. Just because you praise and worship God doesn't mean you're never going to sin. But it's so important. Because praise and worship is welcoming His presence. And when you're in His presence, He speaks to you and He convicts you and He helps you and He encourages you. And God is able to get a hold of your heart. You're going to walk a whole lot better resurrected life if praise and worship is a part of your life. Today, why do we worship God? 
We worship him because he is king of kings and Lord of lords. Because we've welcomed him as our Lord. And if you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I don't have any idea, Brother Renee, what you're talking about, about praise and worship. It could be that you've never welcomed him as Lord of your life. Because that happens first. First you make him Lord. First you make him Lord of your life by declaring Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. And you're forgiven of your sin. And then the praise and the worship that flows out of your life is now a response of appreciation for how he has saved you and redeemed you and forgiven you of your sin. You are forgiven much. And you love much. And you want to express that worship and praise and thanksgiving to God for what he has done. So I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, I want to pray that Jesus Christ would be the Lord of your life. Bow your heads. Just bow your heads. I want to pray for you. This is so important. Oh, Heavenly Father, I love you this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for reminding us once again the central part of praise in our life, our resurrected life. Lord, I pray this morning for individuals. You have some people here that are this morning. They're here this morning and, and they don't know you. They've never committed their life to you. They don't know you as Lord. This morning, Jesus, I ask you to draw them by your presence. Lord, they have sensed the presence of God this morning. From the very beginning of the service, during the whole service, Lord, they have sensed the presence of God. And now, Lord, you're drawing them to be born into the kingdom of God, to be born again, to give their heart and their life to Jesus. You're knocking on the hearts. You're knocking on our hearts, Lord. Trying to come in, trying to get us to welcome you. Lord, I pray that if there's an individual here that you're knocking on their heart, telling them that you want to come in and be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray they would be tired of their old ways, so much so they would welcome you into their life. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you would say, Brother Nay, I need God in my life. I'm lost and desperate, hopeless, kind of like testimony that Pat Carlos gave at the very beginning. You say, I'm, I'm right there. I'm one of those people. Today, you would be willing to welcome him into your life I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand anybody you're here you would like to welcome God into your life make Jesus the Lord of your life anybody just kind of slip up your hand I want to pray for you anybody anybody thank you Lord yes anybody else a couple of hands up Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Yes. I see that hand, a couple of hands back there. Thank you. All right, this is what we're going to do. 
I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. The worship team is going to sing. They're going to sing that song, Abba, Father. And while they sing, I'm going to just ask you if you raise up your hand or anybody else. Maybe you didn't even make your hand up, but you want to pray this morning and welcome him into your life. I'm just going to ask you to slip down out of your seat and make me right here. I want to talk. I want to pray with you. Come on. Would you just come? Let me pray for you. Yes. Thank you, young man. Come on. A couple of guys. Yes. A couple of guys raise their hand. Yes. Some other guys, yes. Thank you, young lady. Hey, guys. Thank you, young lady. Here to God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for responding. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you, lady. Praise God. Thank you for coming. It's your first time here. Met you earlier. This is so important. This is a time where you, yes, come on. Yes, come on you. Thank you. I want to lead you in prayer. And this prayer is just real simple. And that is we're asking Jesus Christ to be Lord of our life. And I want you to understand something. When we pray this prayer... God washes away all of your sin. And you're going to walk out of this room with no sin in your life. It's like he takes this huge eraser and just washes away all of your sin. Isn't that amazing? You walked in with sin and you're going to walk out with no sin. That's amazing. What a deal. What a deal. And you know what? You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn this. He just welcomes you into his family and loves you and cares for you, cleanses you. And then something else happens. It says he gives you a new heart. You're going to do heart surgery on you. You're going to put in a new heart, take out your old heart, your mind, your thoughts, your ideas. Everything is going to change. God is going to do work on the inside. So this, I'm just going to ask you to pray out loud with me. I'm going to ask you out there, if you just stretch out your hand, lives are being changed. You ready to pray with me? All right, let's pray. You don't mind, just kind of raise your hands, kind of an act of surrender, and pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't be good on my own. Lord, I need you to forgive me of all of my sin and come into my heart. Give me a new heart and change me from the inside out. I will never be the same from this day forward. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Change me, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen.